Hello and welcome. I'm Jade Scott. This is Growth RX, and today this is a special limited edition where I am very excited to introduce to you the V score. I'm just going to check to make sure that I'm live in the group. So thank you to those of you who are joining me live, who are coming back to view the recording afterwards, and potentially those that are re-watching this again after having purchased the V-Score themselves. I This is about 12 months in the making and something that I am very, very proud of for a lot of reasons. I guess mostly because it comes down to leadership setting the standard and also valuing our team members, our work colleagues and our peers for things way beyond key performance indicators. Now, I know that whilst many of us know that this is important for tracking and measuring how our clinic is running, how we're going with our patient relationships and outcomes and all those sorts of things, there's a lot of things that we do as colleagues in a work environment that contribute towards our overall culture. So the V-score certainly encompasses that and that's what I want to deep dive in today. But before we do that, I want to have a little bit of a look at feedback, the history behind feedback, what the science tells us and also the evidence behind how people actually respond, not only when it comes to constructive criticism, but also reflective tools that we use to actually measure growth and learning and development. So I have put together a couple of slides for you. So I'm going to share my screen for starters. There is a little bit of a delay with my screen share, unfortunately, but we'll head into it and hopefully my slides will come up as we go. Okay. I'm going to share this slide from the beginning. So delivering feedback. Let me click on this. It's one of the things that a lot of people shy away from, and particularly if you're in a leadership role, even if you are delivering some feedback to one other person, unless you're offering advice, it can be seen as criticism. So we want to make sure that when we are delivering and it's not necessarily an opinion and what we're suggesting can be seen as a tool to help people develop and grow. Now, there's a lot of strategies that people do this, but ultimately it, it is seen as a form of, uh, I guess, conflict in, in certain situations, but also can be quite confronting to some people. And some people like to avoid those situations, whether you're introverted or extroverted. If you're giving information to somebody that's going to trigger an emotional response, we want to be cautious and we really want to be empathetic of not only how we do that, but also how it might be received by another person. So one of the things that sets us apart as a leader, as a business owner, as a work colleague is how we actually see people. Everybody is given a certain amount of information, a certain perspective, and it's how we actually adapt to that and relate to that in the workplace that is key when it comes to our behaviours and being somebody that other people choose to follow. So for those of you playing along at home, there's an amazing book called A Mind of Its Own by Cordelia Fine, which introduced me to a concept back when I was studying and starting out my journey in leadership development about something called the vein brain. And I found this concept fascinating because it is one of our protective mechanisms when it comes to our ego, so to speak, which I like to think is almost the security guard that guides the door to our identity. So often when we are delivering or receiving feedback of any kind, Usually our behaviours, our actions, our traits, our attributes are all tied to the person that we are. It's tied back to our environmental factors, how we've mirrored the behaviours of maybe our parents, of our, our other work colleagues in the past, but it's certainly tied to often our core values. So it can be nothing short of insulting at some points, particularly if we've put in a huge amount of effort if we've really tried and from our perspective, we've contributed greatly to something only to be seen that maybe the perception of one other person isn't actually mirroring what it is that we've done. So our vein brain usually kicks in to protect. This is where confirmation bias comes in. This is where we sort of start to talk our way out of things. We make excuses and 
we get defensive, which as we know, when you're kind of looking at the neuroscience behind behaviours, it's our flight or fright response that protects us. And often this is very, very heavily tied to delivering feedback. So what does the research tell us? It shows us that when we're asked a question and simply a yes or no response, most people put themselves in the top 50% of the answer. So a great example of that is if I asked you, are you a good driver? Most people, whether they are or whether they aren't, will do one of a couple of things. Firstly, they'll say, yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a great driver and put themselves in the top 50% of that question or they'll make excuses for themselves. And a great example, and I know she's not working, watching because she's all the way over in the UK, but my husband's grandmother was taking us out for a drive in those little tiny streets in, in the back countryside of England, which was absolutely beautiful. And she was cutting around corners, really, really tight bends. I think I had white knuckles sitting in the back seat, just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But anyway, we came to this little town where she parked the car and there was a little small gap between two cars. She simply reversed in and smashed into the car behind her. And her first response was, look how far out that car was parked. What a terrible park. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, nothing to do with the fact that maybe her parking skills might have contributed to her hitting the car. But our first response is to defend our own actions. And we do that all the time. So when we're coming into a performance review or when we know we're going to be gaining some type of feedback, we go into protective mode. We start to, to make excuses. We start to also put the best part of ourselves forward and make an assumption because most of us have the best intentions all the time. So we each see the world differently. We each see other people's actions and behaviours. And often in the workplace, sometimes we can be triggered by a certain behaviour simply because it's not what we would do. You see some of this in the staff room in the kitchen where somebody might leave their dishes behind because they might come back at the end of a shift and tidy up whereas other people might kind of think oh well you know there's no way that I would leave my stuff there I'd never leave my rubbish there because somebody else might attend to it certain even little things like this start to grate on us in the workplace and even when it's as simple as hey do you mind doing your dishes before you start coming back to work it can be a very very difficult conversation for some people to have particularly for those who try and avoid conflict at all measures some people are going to do one or two things they're going to raise the issue other people will simply just choose their battles and say look I'll just do their dishes for them so little things like this can start to fester now one of the concepts that's come forward more of late is this notion of radical candor. Now, I certainly don't want to go against such a, an empowering famous book and favorite concept but I also think that sometimes radical candour without being delivered with empathy of how somebody else might feel also doesn't excuse the ability to be able to treat people badly. So just because you say, hey, don't take this the wrong way, but doesn't mean that you actually get away with actually not showing humility and kindness in often occasions. So we know that we need real-time feedback. We know we need to be delivering it and actually supporting other people with their growth and their learning by giving this feedback with the best intentions but also we need to pick our timing and offer that empathy of how might somebody else respond to this now we also don't want to take away from the fact that we want to avoid delivering feedback because we don't want to create conflict and we don't want to make other people awkward because if we sort of sit on these things they start to simmer over time as well but we also need to take a step back and Think about what it is that we're seeing because perception will always prevail. So in this instance here, for example, we've, we've got a box, we've, we've got a piece of artwork. The first step that we do when we're actually interpreting anything is we see what's in front of us, the, the observation, the trait, the attribute that somebody else is delivering in the workplace. We, absorb, we observe the action. Then we interpret the action and we can in, we can do this for both intrinsic and extrinsic reasons. How we interpret that, how we see that, how we believe that action versus response, outcome, all of those sorts of things. And then number three is we form a conclusion. We form a conclusion on the behaviour, on the action and how that actually makes us feel. It's a form of affective empathy. And this is an involuntary type 
of, of behaviour that we do in the workplace. So just acknowledging that this happens is the very, very first step in understanding that our perception of somebody else's behaviour might actually not have anything to do with what they've wanted that conclusion to be. So a great example here, I'm showing you this picture. Uh, I'd love to know in the comments, when you look at this, is this priceless or is this worth millions? So have a look at this here. For those of you who have suggested this is worth millions, thank you very much because this is a sketch that I've just put together. But it's a classic example of something that you can see within minutes, you can interpret as very, very, very valuable or worth nothing at all. And this simply comes down to our perceptions and how we've been, how things have been ingrained in us over years and years and years of mirroring of other people's behaviours and also social etiquette, relationship management, all of those sorts of things. So a lot of the way we deliver feedback, if you're offering empathy first, comes back to our seven human fundamental needs. The first one is subsistence. This is security, support, and being able to look, at, look after ourselves on a basic human level. Do we have enough money to feed ourselves? Can we put a roof over our head? Those sorts of things obviously comes in in number one, and these are in no particular order. The reason why I love looking at this, particularly now when it comes to COVID, the reason why we go into times of crisis, whether we go through a divorce, uh, a house move, a death, usually two or more of our seven human fundamental needs are really being challenged. And we've seen this over the last 12 months in COVID in particular. The second one is connections, relationships, love. It's one of our seven human fundamental needs. We need that connectivity. We do this as practitioners in our job. This is one of the things that's been taken away from us in COVID. And so we've all been triggered and we've all been affected by this, but we've got to make sure when we're delivering feedback, we also want to look at how this is affecting our identity. And all of these things have a key purpose and play a key role in our identity. Number three is our contributions. This is simply being valued, and this is what the V score is all about. V in the V score that I'm going to show you, the new tool to help you with delivering feedback, is all based around value. Value beyond that of just traditional KPIs and performance metrics, but also valuing people for the contributions they bring. The science, the evidence tells us that people need to feel valued for their contributions, whether it be in life, in friendships, in a partnership, in the workplace. We want to be recognised and we want to reward. We want to have, and it doesn't also need to be a monetary reward by means of, of a financial bonus. It can simply be words of affirmation or praise. But knowing this, knowing the science behind this gives us almost like a cheat sheet when we do deliver feedback because we can account for as many of these things as possible. Number four is esteem and identity, safety and security. This has been taken away from us as well. You know, when it comes to our identity and making decisions, we're seeing this now with this vax versus anti-vax argument. A lot of the time it's not necessarily uh, whether you know, coming down to the vaccination or our civil duty versus our right to choose. It's got to do with our identity and our ability to choose. And in many situations, that's been taken away. So this is why people feel very, very attached to their decision of whether they want to get the vaccination or not. And having the security in our safety, are we going to catch this virus? Are we going to keep our loved ones safe? This is one of our human fundamental needs. So it's very, very important for some people, which kind of ties into number five, which is where everyone's being triggered at the moment, is this self-governance. We want the ability to be able to be autonomous in our decision-making. We want to be able to make our own decisions. And when these mandates come in, again, some people are really, really challenged by this because one of their seven human fundamental needs have been taken away. And this is where, you know, whichever side of the fence I sit when it comes to vaccination or not is totally irrelevant. And as a leader in these conversations, we need to be offering empathy. And this shows why, because when our control, when our ability to take decisions away from us is removed, people's identity is being fractured. It's at the core of, of what makes them up. And it is one of their human fundamental needs, which is why people, some people are being viscerally affected by these types of decisions and then others are finding it very, very easy to make these decisions. Number six is significance. 
purpose, purpose in our job, meaningful contributions to the world, impact. Again, that word value is coming up. People want to know that they come into work every day. Their actions towards the outcomes with their patients, whether it be a clinic, anyone in the workplace, in any workplace, but also within our relationships, which kind of ties back to that number two. We want to feel like we're making a difference. We're making a meaningful change and we're doing something good in the world. And that's what makes us happy. That's what makes us get out of bed every morning, the internal alarm clock that goes off every morning and makes us actually want to go into the workplace. And lastly is understanding and growth. We all need to be moving forward. We all need to be growing and learning at our own different rates, but we need to be developing. And this is, you know, there's no uh, accident why Growth RX was called what it was. It was. It's a prescription for growth and we all need this as one of our human fundamental needs. We need to be developing and growing and, and bettering ourselves, but we also need reflective tools and we need to be able to review on our previous behaviors to see what those outcomes are and this is why kpis and key performance metrics that are measurable are really really important now a lot of people shy away from those they think that they're delivered because business owners are money hungry but at the end of the day if we don't have something objective to lean on then as individuals we can't reflect on how far we've come so this is why even when I talk about the V-score and this changing and delivering feedback and how we're valued, we do need to be able to give some focus on key performance indicators. And the reason why I don't want to eliminate them altogether, but we need to create a new structure that actually has key performance indicators, but also shows the value of contributions that people make outside of those key performance indicators. But all of these, when it comes to our seven human fundamental needs, it comes down to certainty. And this is why COVID has affected us all so much because our security, our relationships, our value, our safety, our control, our autonomy, our meaning, our purpose, our impact has all been affected by COVID. So if you're looking at this leadership journey and how the education around COVID has been delivered, personally, and again, you know, I'm not in one of those roles and I, I do certainly empathize with those people making these key decisions but if we all tie everything back to these seven human fundamental needs we'd be in a far greater position to educate people and also see people for where they're at and everybody moves at a different rate everyone makes decisions at a different rate but it all ties back into this and so does delivering feedback we need to think about all of these things when we think about offering any advice or our opinion when it comes to something that may be damaging to somebody's core identity and one of their seven human fundamental needs. And, and Buckingham and Goodall have done a lot of work in this space. They call it the feedback fallacy, which is basically where they've talked about this positivity sandwich that has been around for years, if not decades, where we don't want to hurt people's feelings. As a leader, as a business owner, we know we have to deliver feedback. We know it's not really going to be well received. So we start off with something positive, uh, sorry, with something a little bit um, positive and then we lace our constructive feedback or something a little bit more negative or more difficult to digest. And then we finish it off with something positive, wrap it up in fairy floss and hope that somebody walks away with a bit of a spring in their step, having taken on the advice that you needed to deliver. The science tells that this is outdated. Merely because any time we simply suggest that we're going to be having a performance review or a review of somebody else's identity based upon their behavioural traits, somebody's going to get triggered straight away. Nobody likes to actively, and, and well, some people do, there's a minute percentage of the, of the population that actually thrive on feedback. They thrive on this, come at me, but they're very, very resilient when it comes to uh, being able to take this stuff on and take it in their stride. We usually tie that to a growth mindset. So people that are a little bit more nervous or viscerally affected by this concept of I'm going to give you some feedback, how are you going to take it, usually is a little bit more tied to a fixed mindset, particularly people who are set in their ways, who um, are very opinionated themselves and a bit of a my way or the highway and don't like being dictated to or taken direction and simply resist feedback in itself. So we know this because it actually comes down to the science of our behaviour. We know that 
if we're delivering something where a fixed mindset is triggered, our sympathetic response, our neural response is that fight or flight. We get defensive, we get protective, we make excuses, we fire back arguments. Sometimes we don't listen to the feedback at all. And it can make for a very, very awkward and uncomfortable conversation, which leaves not only the business owner having not got anywhere, also the feedback isn't heard. It's not taken on and then you actually get a negative outcome in which case you think well gosh I don't even know why I bothered which means future feedback future meetings future performance reviews you want to avoid them at all costs because you kind of know that with certain people they're just not going to go well the other side of that is how do we actually trigger the parasympathetic nervous system when it comes to feedback if we know that most people get defensive every time feedback is going to be delivered, how do we make people more encouraging and more receptive and more open-minded when it comes to receiving some advice or some feedback about how potentially some people could be doing things differently? We know that the concept of learning is adding to something that is already or polishing something that is already there or adding something that isn't there. If we're resisting both of those things, we're not going to get growth, we're not going to get development, we're not going to get advancement, and we need reflective tools to be able to show this. But how do we do this with keeping calm, with making people feel supported, with making people feel valued, and certainly it's not pointing the finger and pointing out people's shortcomings. So the key performance indicators that are pretty common, the ones that we use in our workplace at, at Western Region Health and many other clients that I work with, we use four common key performance indicators, I'd call them. Some of them call it capacity, patient numbers, room utilisation. So, for example, if you can fit 60 patients in in a week, for example, and you're seeing 30 patients a week, then we would call that a 50% room utilisation. If somebody is fully booked all the time and running a cancellation list, we would see that as running at 100% capacity. Then we've got patient retention or rebooking. I tie that very much back to patient relationships. How are we connecting with our patients? Are we emotionally understanding their need for treatment, what their goals are? That patient-centered care can be tied to this rebooking. If somebody isn't bought in or hasn't bought into a treatment plan that you've recommended for them for the best outcomes, for the best results, and you suggest maybe three to four treatments for that to get the best outcomes, and somebody cancels that after that first appointment, then clearly we can see that when we're looking at these stats as potentially maybe a communication breakdown, maybe the language, maybe just the connection, somebody feeling safe and secure, confident in your abilities to execute and deliver what the patient needs can be tied back to this patient booking retention, our cancellation rate. So if we look at rebooking somebody from one week to the next, They've bought into the treatment plan. You've suggested that a follow-up visit in a week might be helpful. And then all of a sudden they've cancelled, they've disappeared from the system and they've got no future booking. A cancellation rate also ties very heavily back to, you know, maybe they made a rebooking, but was it just polite? You know, did they not connect with you? Did they not believe you in the treatment? Didn't, did they feel worse after a consultation, in which case they just simply didn't want to come back? Again, we don't know this feedback, this very valuable feedback from our patients unless we're tracking things like a cancellation rate. Now, obviously, in COVID, people cancel out because they get fears. There's certain things outside of our control. But unless we're looking at that, we actually can't start to interpret that data for what it is unless we're tracking it in the first place. And the last thing is a patient visit average. You know, on average, how often would a new patient come in or how many visits would a new patient com commonly need in an effort to maintain the best outcomes? And we usually track this over about a three-month period. And, you know, at the very, very least, some of the conversations I've had with my team at work is if you see somebody once, we usually like a follow-up to touch base with them at the very least, and then you usually follow them up about a month later to make sure that the, their treatment was okay, their exercise program is going okay, their rehabilitation caught that. At the very least, most people can quite comfortably agree on, and it depends on the situation, obviously, but through, around about three visits. So a, a good average patient visit average sits at about three, and there's different metrics and there's different uh, values, I guess, that we can do this. But again, it comes down to group discussion of what you think is reasonable and also a business owner of, of basically, depending on experience levels, uh, different new graduates might have a different PVA for somebody who's been out in practice a little bit longer. So one of the things though, that if we keep measuring just KPIs, 
key performance indicators, which are usually tied to patient numbers and revenue and rebooking, it's not uncommon for particularly new graduates or people who've been in a clinic for a while to think you just want to make money off me. Bill more, book more, see more. If you want to earn more money, you've got to see more patients. It's, it's understandable that some of these concepts and these opinions are tied back into why key performance indicators are being utilised in the workplace. So if we keep measuring performance based upon financial gains and only to do with, and we are in a fee-for-service driven industry, if we're not seeing patients, we don't get paid. We don't have revenue coming into the clinic and we are at risk of losing our job. It's that simple. You can't expect to be on, on $80,000 a year as a salary treating 10 patients a week. It is not sustainable for anyone, whether it be you or whether it be the business owner or the clinic. You just can't sustain that. So somewhere along the line, it's very, very reasonable to have some type of patient numbers tied to the type of salary that you're on. Unless you're working in the public sector, if you are in private practice, we need to have these valuable KPIs to determine whether you're sinking money into a business or whether you're actually earning more money, in which case you could go into a bonus structure. So there's a lot of reasons behind this sort of things, and obviously every clinic is individual. But if we keep tracking KPIs in regards to performance alone, then this is all our team's going to start to see. You're only tracking my performance, my performance. What about every, everything else that I contribute to the workplace? So an assumption starts to become that a business owner only cares about money. And if we keep studying failure, that's all we're going to see. If you're not hitting your KPIs, if you don't hit your KPI every week, we can start to feel a little bit deflated by those measures because we want to be uplifted. The science tells us that we have to be more positive in our language, more positive in the workplace. And if we do so, if we strive toward people's goals and dreams and vision for the future, people innately start to lift and rise to the occasion. So we need to change. And this is where about 12 months ago, part of my core values is that I didn't want my team just focusing on KPIs. I had a, and, and where I, I definitely feel like I failed. I had a new graduate who'd been with us a couple of years and he was doing so well. He was incredible. His patients loved him. His outcomes were amazing. He was a, a really valued part of the team and he ended up resigning without any warning. And we always do an exit interview and we do a survey to find out where we could have done better and how we could have helped. And one of the key triggers for him, which has never been forced onto my team necessarily outside of just trying to get those reflective tools was I hated KPIs. And he smashed his KPIs. Every single week, you know, our KPIs were set very, very reasonably. Um, they weren't forced. They were never tied back to money and bill more and book more. And he just said quite simply, I don't like that. I didn't like that in my personality. I didn't like having those delivered to me every fortnight. And I felt like I failed him because I felt like I didn't say enough, even though we do all the time, I didn't say enough beyond the value that he brought to the clinic and, and now it's very sad that he's gone for those reasons and that maybe this could have been a discussion that I could have had and, and potentially he might still be at the clinic so it was at that point that I thought I have to do better we have to do better and we need to start having these conversations and how can I explore objectifying behaviors that is just simply so subjective core values competency consistency all of those sorts of things and so I realised that while stats don't lie, if we keep focusing on KPIs, we're not really acknowledging the personable value that people bring to the workplace. And we have an incredibly sickening workplace where people do love each other. They love coming into work and we do track that and we ask for feedback and, and responses like that all the time. But we could have been doing better and we, we could have been doing more. So it all also ties back to accountability. So I thought to myself, you know, what then? How can I motivate people and start to find a reflective tool that reflected exactly that, their contribution value that they brought to the workplace. And that is how the V-score came about. V just simply means that it means value. How valuable is somebody to the workplace beyond that of the consultation, of the in-room education, of the spending time with the patients, of the hands they're using for their their treatment of choice via consultation, whether it be psychology or podiatry or osteo, physio, chiro, where is the additional value that people, people, humans 
connections, seven human fundamental needs, where is that value and how can we actually track that and how can we, we recognise and reward people for that, for our character, our core values, our commitment, our commitment to the workplace, to being authentic, to being consistent in our behaviours in the workplace, to our connections and our relationships and what people bring as a human being, what people bring as a person, that, you know, the person that everybody wants to be around, that love, that we love at our social events but brings a smile to our face when they arrive at work and then our competence, you know, the, the ability to be able to do things without being micromanaged and without having them cross-checked and to be able to give out a role or a responsibility and somebody just do it without any whinging or moaning the integrity that is just do the right thing without anybody needing or watching so how do we objectify then contribution values this does bring us to the v-score and this is where i've found a tool and i've developed a web app that everyone can start to use that brings these kpis which are available if you're not using them in the workplace the v-score i'm hoping will push you towards understanding the importance of these objective measures that measure performance because they are really important when we're reflecting and using tools to review. And practitioners that aren't, whether you're a contractor or whether you're an employee, now obviously there's legalities that say that contractors can't have KPIs, but if you wanna personally volunteer them as a reflective tool so that we can actually get better outcomes for our patients, if we reframe that understanding, then KPIs are extremely valuable. No matter what remuneration model you're on, you can still use KPIs as a reflective tool. And then there's what I call KPCs which are the things that we mentioned before, the core values, the consistency, the character, all of those sorts of things collectively gives us a V-score. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen now for a minute and I am going to, again, there's a slight delay when I go to share my screen. So I'm going to share a video now from Simon Sinek because, of course, I can talk about this as much as I like, but of course, when somebody of the caliber of Simon Sinek comes and says the exact same thing as me, then usually most people listen. So this concept from Simon Sinek is about performance versus trust. Now, we were using a spreadsheet for quite a while at the clinic with, with my management team, Michael, who, who is one of the masterminds behind this. And we were plotting people on a graph based upon performance and contribution. Now, I want to show you this video and I'll show you how the V-score is very similar to the concept that Simon talks about when it comes to trust in the workplace. I work with the Navy, I've worked with the Navy SEALs, and I asked them, like, who do you, how do you pick, like, the guys that go on SEAL Team 6, right? Because they're the best of the best of the best of the best. And they drew, a, they drew a graph for me, and on one side, they drew, they wrote the word performance, and on the other side, they, were, they wrote the word trust. The way they define the terms is performance on the battlefield and performance off the battlefield. So this is your skills. This is, did you make your quarterly earnings? Whatever, however you want to translate it, right? Performance, it's traditional. This is, how are you off the battlefield? What kind of person are you? The way they put it is, I may trust you with my life, but do I trust you with my money and my wife? This is what they told me. Nobody wants this person, the low performer of low trust, of course. Of course, everybody wants this person, the high performer of high trust, of course. What they learned is that this person, the high performer of low trust, is a toxic leader and a toxic team member. And they would rather have a medium performer of high trust, sometimes even a low performer of high trust, it's a relative scale, over this person. This is the highest performing organization on the planet, and this person is more important than, than this person. And the problem in business is we have lopsided metrics. We have a million and one metrics to measure someone's performance and negligible to no metrics to measure someone's trustworthiness. And so what we end up doing is promoting or bonusing toxicity in our businesses, which is bad for the long game because it eventually destroys the whole organization. The irony is it's unbelievably easy to find these people. Go to any team and say, who's the asshole? And they'll... <laughs> They will all point to the same person. 
Equally, if you go to any team and say, who do you trust more than anybody else? Who's always got your back? And when the chips are down, they will be there with you. They will also all point to the same person. It's the best gifted natural leader who's, getting, who's creating an environment for everybody else to succeed, and they may not be your most individual highest performer. But that person, you better keep them on your team. So back to what I was suggesting before, as Simon talked about, we've got to start tracking performance, but we've got to start tracking trust. Now, we started tracking people's contribution level some time ago, and we started plotting it into a graph so that we could actually start to look at not only people that were funnily enough, performing in the workplace, but we were consistently valuing them and realising that sometimes it's not about the person that sees the most patients. So we realised that we wanted to be starting to value people that were bringing their contribution level. And sometimes we don't, we have a new graduate that comes into the workplace and they don't necessarily have high patient numbers. They're not back to back. They're not fully booked, but yet what they bring to the workplace, what they bring to the value in the team needs to start to be recognised. We started to show this graph, basically, where we, and again, I'm not going to show you the V-score just yet. So we started putting people on, and again, these, are not, these aren't names of my team members, but we started putting them on this KPI versus KPC based upon performance. And so we kind of had people started to, in similar to very much what Simon was suggesting, our high performers but low contributors over there like Billy, but we also had people like Gemma who were contributing greatly to the workplace but maybe not at a stage where they were performing just yet. So we were doing this on a spreadsheet for some time. We were kind of having a look and we were wanting a team play, a, a a position where most of our team sat up in that green and that gold, where people actually, we could actually start to have conversations and feedback reviews where we were talking not only about KPIs in the workplace, which was very, very necessary and, and a, a certainly a tool that we do need, as I suggested before, but we could start to talk about the contribution level that people started to bring to the workplace. A workplace is so much more, I mean, this photo to me means so much more than patient numbers and consultation and hands-on appointment. It, these people to me are individuals and every single one of them brings a different value to the workplace. And I wanted to start to recognise that in the same conversations. So what next was basically where we put together the web app and this is what I want to show you now. So welcome to the V-Score. And quite simply, this is a tool that you'll be able to purchase and you'll be able to go in depending on what level you want to be able to use. You could use it simply for a month. You could buy a 12-month subscription, but it does most of the work for you. So if we look here, you can see it's starting to come together as a little bit of a graph. And as you can suggest here, it will revolutionise the way we deliver feedback, hopefully. So you kind of get your login and you register. And once you start to add your data, this is what it looks like. And this is an example that I have prepared for you. So as you can see, we've got some random team members down here that I've entered. So we've got Jenny, who's sitting up here in the gold aspect. She's a high performer, a high, high performer, I would call her, and a high, high contributor. These are the unicorns. Now, one of the things that I've also done with my experience in psychometric profiling is, as you can see over here to the side, which I'll show you in a second, um, I've got some V-score results descriptions, which means that once you actually uh, come out in a certain part of this graph, there's a description based upon what the type of profiling and behaviours one of these key staff members might actually bring if they happen to appear in that quadrant, which I'll kind of show you in a second. So we've got Jenny up the top here. We've got another high contributor and a high performer in Brian there. Now we've kind of got over to the side here, we've got Claire. So Claire's appeared in the high performance and maybe a little bit less contribution that we would like. But one of the things that the descriptions goes through with you is, for example, regressions. Maybe Claire might have started over here in the gold and she simply moved across to here. The descriptions talk about a multitude of things that actually help you understand and offer empathy with your team. Maybe Claire has moved across 
from that gold into the high performing and her contribution is lacking. So where she was contributing before, she's not anymore. Certain things come to mind. Is she getting burnt out? You know, does she have nothing left to give? Has she decided that she doesn't want to come to social functions? Is, is there a relationship breakdown where she doesn't want to go to some social functions or doesn't want to spend too much time in the staff room? Has she just come back from maternity leave? And her patients absolutely love her and she's performing wonderfully, but maybe doesn't have the time anymore because her priorities outside the workplace are not what they used to be. Her, her personal priorities have shifted. So she doesn't have as much time for mentoring or building relationships in the workplace like she used to. Where people fall in this graph is a conversation piece. And that's what I want it to be. You know, Claire, you are an amazing performer in the workplace, you're hitting your KPIs, your patients love you, you've got amazing relationships, you're getting wonderful outcomes, you're running a cancellation list, but you're not really contributing to the mentoring program and the new graduates don't really know you. You haven't taken the time to meet them. You sit in your room in your lunch break and you read a book. You know, these are some of the conversations that we can have. And then in, in the meantime, down here, we've got Johnny. Johnny, who's everybody's favourite in the workplace, comes in, smile on his face, bakes brownies every Sunday, all those things that help add to the culture in a workplace. But his patient numbers might not be there right now. Maybe he's not running a cancellation list. Maybe his patients are cancelling. Maybe he is too heavy-handed and his patients are pulling up too sore after a treatment and cancelling. Again, a conversation piece. And what the science tells us, that if we can actually bring value and KPIs into a conversation where people feel equally valued for their contribution in the workplace, we're not going to trigger that sympathetic fight and flight defensive response when we're delivering feedback. And the way that this tool has been set up is that we can actually click over here and we can share a team survey. So there's a psychometric profiling survey based upon people's contributions and goals and visions in the workplace that the business owner sends out to the team. This has been um, meticulously constructed so that people get a chance to give their feedback and have their say of equal stance coming into a performance review where they can equally contribute, where you can sit down and say, hey, based upon your survey, this is what you're seeing in the workplace. How can we help you? How can we better ourselves as a business owner? And hey, also, this is what we're seeing when it comes to your behaviours, your attributes, your traits, your contribution level and your performance in the workplace all wrapped up in one beautiful bow. You can see me getting excited about this because I, I do, I love this. I am so passionate about this tool that we are using it in our workplace and I want to share it with other people so that people feel more comfortable having these conversations, even to the point where you could get a staff member fill out the survey and plot their dot on there. And you can see in a minute here where I can now add my own contributions for Jenny. So let's just say Jenny has plotted herself up in here in the gold section. And then I potentially want to have a review of Jenny. And I can come in here and I can say, Jade, my name will come up here. And you can see my little manager tab down here. So now maybe for performance, I agree that she's, you know, fully booked all the time. Her rebooking is amazing. I've kind of got, oops, going to the wrong one. Um, her rebooking is amazing. Her cancellation rate is great. Her patient visit average is great. All the performance there that Jenny is seeing, I'm mirroring that by my perception of her in the workplace. Her core values and her character, absolutely. But maybe in my eyes, her commitment and her consistency isn't quite there. And maybe I might give her a three myself. Again, this is where opinions come in. This is subjective when it comes to a team member versus the perception of me myself, and I'm not denying that, but it's the most objective way we can make subjective behaviours in the workplace by kind of giving it a V score and a rating. Connections and relationships, again, might be great. And then competence, maybe there's a couple of roles that I've given that maybe I've had to micromanage a little bit and I've been a bit disappointed with the delivery or the execution, so I might potentially give her a three. We can see here now, this is where Jenny's rating herself and this is where I'm rating her. Still a high performer and high contributor, but maybe our dots are a little bit further apart. I can simply say to Jenny now, what are you seeing? What are you doing that I'm not seeing? I'm not in the workplace all the time. Am I missing some of these valuable contributions that you're bringing to the workplace? Or alternatively, my dots over here and here's why. 
Remember that job I gave you a couple of months ago? It probably wasn't delivered to the type of standard that I particularly might have expected. So maybe let's have a conversation around that. So again, a conversation piece that comes from this. We've also got, and we can do that for each of our team members down here. Let's just say as well, I want to de-identify my staff and I don't want to show Jenny where John has come out on the scale. I can simply come down here and I can turn and de-identify my staff. So I can also show Jenny here where her dots are and where she sits herself and where I've maybe formed a perception of her within the workplace in regard to her value and her contribution level. And then you can see where some other team members are. So if Jenny is quite competitive in nature, she might want to see where all the other dots are, where she sees herself in the workplace. But also, this might be a really, really valuable tool if we undo some of these here, or we can probably keep these a little bit more de-identified and we might bring our new graduate in here. Now, our new graduates coming out here, we said we don't have certain expectations of our new graduate, for example, who might have only been with us a few months. We don't expect them to be fully booked. We can't expect them to be highly performing, having these amazing connections with all these patients and running a cancellation list. And maybe they're still finding their way in the workplace. Maybe they're a little bit introverted or a little bit shyer and finding it a little bit, it's taking them a little bit longer to form these uh, relationships in the workplace. Maybe they're not coming to social events. So we can, again, have a conversation piece here. Alternatively, one of the things I want to show you is I can put myself in here as well. And maybe I've got this new graduate that is doing a lot better than maybe he sees. And maybe he's just being really, really hard on himself. So I can show both dots in here Oh, and it's not appearing at the moment, but I can show both dots here um, and we can actually start to track how far apart these dots are. So maybe the suggestion can be, hey, you're being too hard on yourself. I actually see what you're doing. I'm seeing so much value and seeing so much more contribution than what you're seeing. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're only six months out in practice. So we start off by sending out the team surveys and then it also we can also do this again for our managers and our key leaders in the workplace. And maybe we can get together as a group of leaders or a group of mentors and have some discussions about newer graduates and where our mentoring program can help really inspire and engage and help develop some new graduates, for example. So we can send out our shared manager survey. So here we simply write down the sender's name, which is myself and my email, and the team member under review, and that might be John at this point. And we can send that email out to four different managers. If you've got eight managers you want to send it to, you can come back and do this again as many times as you like. And then lastly, we've got the V-score results, which I wanted to show you here. So this is where that psychometric profiling comes in, and we can hit on each of these tabs you can see here gold standard, high, high performer, high contributor, and a little bit of a write-up about the type of practitioner or the type of team member that might fall into that category. And we can do this with each of them, high performance, high contribution. We've got brown down here, low performance, low contribution, and a bit of a write-up. So for those business owners that are really kind of struggling with delivering that feedback, you can simply come to these reports get a bit of a picture about what these practitioners look like and use this as, as a point of conversation. And also, do you align with this profile? And if you don't, why not? Or also, I'm having concerns that some of these trends or some of these challenge areas are coming out with you. And this is, is kind of what I'm seeing here. The same applies with our, uh, our scores. So here, when it comes to objective scores there's a key that I've kind of put together for you that gives you a little bit of a relation of what uh, for example a four is patient numbers between 80 and 95 percent capacity or utilization rate then we've also got our retention and rebooking in regards to a percentage so somebody who's sitting at maybe 75 percent patient rebooking is coming in at a number three again we've got cancellation rate there and we've also got our patient visit average the other thing that we've got here is our more subjective scores. So this is when it comes to those key things that we're looking at, which is character, consistency, core values. I've given a brief description of what we might be seeing somebody who trends really high or really low in these contribution areas. So 
all of this stuff has been put together for you and hopefully I guess my intention from this um, and because again this is also really new we've got a feedback survey that you can fill out if there's some new tools or if there's new measures or some feedback surprise surprise that you would like to give me when it comes to utilizing this tool there's also a whole lot of instructions that are here as well so uh, there's a whole lot of videos there's a user manual that can come out uh, so basically hopefully making life just that little bit easier for people and also to be able to create a little bit of consistency so one of the things that we do with our team here is exactly that rather than just reward people for hitting high patient numbers and high targets we want to re reward their overall value so every year we give out a clinician of the year and an employee of the year award and these are going to be people that sit as high up as you can get in this orange quadrant sorry this golden yellow quadrant and so we want to be able to congratulate people and share in the wins and champion their success for way more than just bringing revenue into a clinic and we want to make sure that these scores are valued that people feel valued and that we start to have conversations around core values and character and relationships and connections in the workplace so that if we do have Gemma sitting over here who is bringing a huge amount of contribution level that these are our greatest achievements if we continue to work hard over here with those people that are high contributing, if we can get their performance up, if we can start working on their outcomes and their patient results and their patient connections and their utilisation rate of their room, if they get busier eventually and they're a high contributor, we can start to watch people trend up towards this green and this gold area. And if they're not, this can be red flags. If we've got somebody here that is starting up here in this gold and finds themselves still contributing to the workplace, still a beautiful character and contributor to the workplace, but their performance is not there, maybe they are getting burnt out. Maybe from them regressing backwards from where they were in regards to maybe they don't have much more to give. Maybe there's something going on in their personal life. I'm really hoping that this tool will be able to open up these safe spaces for conversations and just start to generate some discussion around the the value that people bring in its entirety it is one thing that i'm passionate about it is great leadership it is about valuing people for everything that they bring to the workplace but also having an understanding of the need to be able to track objective versus subjective measures so Thank you for listening. Thank you for hopefully embracing this tool as much as I have. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me, jade at growthrx.com. But I will send through the link and I will hopefully get this out to you so that it, as many of you can start using it as possible. And for those of you who aren't tracking KPIs and who aren't looking at these type of measures, then maybe something like this over time compiled with some surveys, getting some great feedback from your team beyond all of these measures. What are their goals? What are their visions? It's all tied very much to the questions that we need to ask, how we ask those questions and the evidence behind getting the most out of people, inspiring a shared vision, taking people from A to B and being the type of leader that somebody chooses to follow not only because of your role or description, but because they want to and creating more happier, healthy workplaces with really, really rewarding cultures that maintain staff retention. Thank you very much. I look forward to hearing from you soon. I look forward to hearing your feedback.